0: In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So, uh, last week, we were in between series. The first series was Back to Basics, and you could um, find them online. So, we went through creation out of nothing, and then um, what what it means by being created in the image and likeness of God, um, how we we are to understand salvation, what's the church, and how we to understand the church, and then the Eucharist, so it was five. And Then, last week, we had a prayer night to begin Lent with. And now we're starting our Lenten series for the next six Tuesdays. And the Lenten series is titled, you can see at the top, Digging Deeper in Lent. Um, And the aim of it is to look at Lent through a spiritually mature way. So what do we mean by that? We mean that when we were younger, in Sunday school, we were told certain things about what we need to do in our Christian life to get us started. Um, But as we grow older, we need to mature in our Christian life. And we need to take things to that next level a little bit. And we need to look at them through an adult and mature lens. So that's what we're going to aim to do. Today, um, we thought we'll give a bit of an introduction. And we've titled it, Doing Lent the Lenten Way. So go broad. And then over the next few weeks, we'll look at some of the spiritual practices that the church has given us. And how we could engage with them deeper. Such as prayer, fasting, asceticism. And then the last one will be something to get us ready for Holy Week. So we've got six Tuesdays and then the seventh Tuesday is Holy Week Tuesday. And then after that we have um, uh, Easter or Feast of Resurrection. So I thought we would look at four points. And uh, I took the four points. Everything in red we've just added. What's in black is from a book by Father Alexander Schmidt titled Great Lent. Of course there's a lot of books out there on Lent. Um, and repentance Uh, there's one um, by St. Paul's Brotherhood which you could find on Kindle okay and you could you could download the Kindle app on your phone if you don't have a Kindle reader and what it is is it's a a patristic commentary on every Sunday of Lent okay so this Sunday is Temptation Sunday and it will have the Gospel reading and what the Church Fathers said about this particular Gospel the Sunday after is the Sunday of the Prodigal Son will do the same thing it's very very handy um, you could find that on Kindle and it has a nice introduction that gives you a history of Lent. So if you type in St. Paul's Brotherhood or Great Lent Coptic into Amazon, you should be able to find it there. There's also The Life of um, Repentance and Purity by Pope Shenouda III and there's a nice new translation for that which you could, um, you could find as well. So they're all useful but I, I was reading this before I thought we would um, draw some things from that. So when talking about doing Lent the Lenten way, I thought we'll touch on four things so they're in red and they are to keep things real to live the life of the church to live one life and a life of silence and we'll talk about those four very briefly and I thought these are nice a nice set of four principles that maybe we could explore during Lent I'm not talking about fasting and prayer because there are other individual ones later on but we're just going to go a little bit broader so what we'll do is we'll read and we'll discuss and please I say this every week but no one does it but it's okay Feel free to say something. if This doesn't grab anything beyond here. So, no one's going to hear the recording. Um, So, if you get embarrassed from the microphone like me, then rest assured. Okay. Alright. So, let's read. So, he says, We are approaching again the Great Lent, the time of repentance, the time of our reconciliation with God. Repentance is the beginning and also the condition of a truly Christian life. Okay. So, he's used the word repentance already. And we know Lent has a very repentful uh, theme. What does, in your understanding, what does repentance mean? Change in your mind. It literally literally means a change of mind. So it comes from a Greek word, metanoia, which literally means a change of mind. Okay? When we say repentance, what kind of images or words come to mind? Sorry? Sorry? Sorry. Okay. Anything else? Accountability. Accountability. Okay else? A person Someone crying? Anything else? Awareness. Awareness. Great. Anything else? Okay. So, do you remember St. Paul? He says there's sorrow that leads to repentance and sorrow that leads to death. There's two types of sorrow. Let's just keep that in the back of our mind. Last, a few weeks ago, we spoke about what sin is, okay? Sin literally mean, oh, comes from a Greek word which literally means, when um, an archer if that's the right word misses the mark so when they miss the bullseye that's what sin is okay you know in the liturgy um, according to your mercy O Lord and not according to our sins we go kata to ele right now what's the next word that's the Greek word which means sin and that word for sin means when someone misses the mark what's the mark what are we aiming for to be Christ-like. So when I miss that mark, that's what we call sin. For example, God is pure. If I'm, if I'm impure, I'm really missing that mark. So we call that sin. Okay. So if I'm living... Let's go the impurity example. If I'm living an impure life and I'm missing the mark and I'm going towards this impurity and this is where Christ is, well, to turn around, the first thing that I need to do is I need to be aware, as you said, of what I'm doing is wrong. So I need to stop, think, Make a decision to turn around. That decision to turn around is a bit of a sorrowful one because like, wow, I think I really need to turn around. What am I doing with my life? That's a bit of sorrow comes into it. We get a bit of, a bit of the tears, etc. But then I turn around and I'm moving towards God. And as I'm moving towards God, what am I seeing? An image of the prodigal son, the father taking in the son. So then it becomes a very joyful thing. Sometimes we look at repentance through a sorrowful lens but that sorrow should turn into joy. But then there's a logical question. Shouldn't we be repenting all the year? Why are we focusing on repentance in 55 days? Any ideas? Any suggestions? I'm just going to have a guess because I think the themes of Lent all lend themselves to repentance. They do? Yeah, they they do have a a repentful flavour in them. Yeah. So leading up to Pascha, leading up to Easter, we're we're thinking about these themes, great. I like to think of it, for example, like when someone's trying to be fit, part of their fitness routine is to spend maybe a month or two or a a period of time, a few weeks, doing something very intense that's not sustainable for the rest of the year to really, really focus on. Well, not, not sustainable, well, they don't want to just put their focus really, really hard on that, but the aim is that what they focus on becomes a part of the year. That was a really weird way of saying that. Okay, how could we say it another way? We should always be repenting. So the church is reminding us of that by saying, let's really, really focus on repentance for 55 days. Let's have a repentful theme with the hope that some of that fruit carries through the year with you. And every year as you go through Lent, you carry a few more things. But then after Lent, for 50 days, we're really going to focus on joy. So let's really focus on the joy with Christ and with the hope that some of that carries you on throughout the year. Okay? So, and we'll look at this in a second. All the hymns of Lent actually focus a bit on this repentful theme. So repentance is not something that we do once a month or once a week. It's something that we do all the time. And that's why I refer you to that book, The Life of Repentance and Purity by Pope Shenouda III. So we'll be walking in our day-to-day life. I'm missing the mark. I stop. I wake up. I turn back to God. That's repentance. And we go through that over and over again through our lives. Okay, so back to this fourth line. But what is repentance? In the daily rush of our life, we have no time to think about it. We simply take it for granted that we must go to confession, receive absolution, and then forget about it till next time. Yet, there must be a reason why our church has set apart seven weeks, so seven weeks before Holy Week, as a special time of repentance and calls each Orthodox Christian to a spiritual effort. A special spiritual effort, sorry. And this reason must obviously concern me, my life, my faith, my membership in the church. I must try to understand it, to follow it as much as I can, the teachings of the church. And then this is really important. Be orthodox not only in name, but in life itself. This is what I sort of refer to as keeping things real. What do I mean by keeping things real? Everything that the church has given us, when I do Lent, if i'm not doing it in a real way then lent is a diet and coming to church on sunday is an obligation of our faith but to keep it real means that my life naturally flows out of church and naturally flows in church so it's not like i have work and family and social life and then i have church and the church times are sunday morning and maybe saturday night and maybe once or twice during the week keeping things real is to say that what i do here is actually what i do out there How I behave in here is how I behave out there. How I think in here is how I think out there. That's what we mean by keeping it real. When I'm fasting, I'm really fasting. I'm not just dieting. When I'm praying, I'm actually praying, not just saying some words. When we're younger, as we were saying, like our brains can only comprehend in Sunday school when we're so young to say fast. Okay, okay. so what does that mean? Read the recipe. Oh, but the culture, I don't need that. Great, but as we get older... We have to go a little bit deeper right we have to mature like if our understanding of and our practice of these things is no different to when we were in secondary school then we're not really growing are we but we'll touch on fasting in in later, in later weeks okay so we must be orthodox not only by name but in life itself the church calls us to deepen our religious conscience to increase and strengthen the spiritual contents of our life to follow her in her pilgrimage towards renewal and rededication of god Okay, next paragraph. Lent is the time when we reevaluate our life in the light of our faith, and this requires a very real effort and discipline. Now, discipline is a word that we hear in, again, in fitness when you're dieting, because dieting is a big thing these days. Like, there's a lot of blogs and things like that. Like, gym memberships are going up and everything. Discipline is something there, but it's also something that we have (coughs) in our spiritual heritage. In the Egyptian desert, monasticism started and they've left us a wealth of um, resources and literature on spiritual discipline and on that note we've managed to get a few copies of these which is the Life of Anthony so um, we've got there's a borrowing library here there's five available so the first five people that come up would <laughs> be nice could borrow it for a couple of weeks and then bring it back and pass it on to the, to the next five people so this is a great book Life of St. Anthony it has the Life of Anthony and his sayings um, at the back great book Um, really nice to read once a year if possible okay let's keep going christ says that a narrow path leads to the kingdom of god and we must make our life as narrow as possible at first the natural and selfish man in us revolts against these limitations he wants his usual easy life with all its pleasures and relaxations that's when we hear words like but what's wrong with eating meat but what's wrong if i watch this but what's wrong if i do these when we ask the what's wrong questions we're really taking a very very low or we're setting the bar very low you know when you were young hey okay, ask your parents is it a sin if i do this okay is it a sin if i don't fast so we're we're sitting in the in the black and white basket you know let's move beyond that let's say okay is this for my edific- edification if i do this or if I retract from this as we'll see in a second if I just hold myself back in this area is this going to build me up that's a bit more of a mature way of looking at things but once we have tasted of such spiritual effort once we have made it one step towards God the reward is great we discover a joy that cannot be compared to any other joy okay we discover a joy that cannot be compared to any other joy I'll talk about that in a sec we'll just finish this paragraph We discover the reality of the spiritual world in us. We begin to understand what St. Paul meant by the joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. Okay. We discover a joy that cannot be compared to any other joy. So, does anyone ever look back in their life with Christ and say that I used to be able to read the Bible more. I used to be able to enjoy prayer more. Has anyone ever had that? Like in the past, it was better. Can you raise your hand if you've experienced that before? Okay. There's um, a modern-day priest. Um, like, not priest like he passed away. Did he pass away? I'm not sure. In the last 50 years, someone wrote a book about this. Okay. Um, I could pass on the name to you after. So what he says is he says our spiritual life, or we don't use the word spiritual life, our life with Christ has three, three stages. Stage one is when you fall in love with God. Bible's beautiful the Agbe is nice and easy your prayer life is going great the liturgy couldn't be longer you go to a liturgy and everyone's like it took a bit long and you're like what are you talking about it was amazing you actually meet people like that like wow that was just, it was beautiful the liturgy you're like okay so like, <laughs> like different people are di- like, like different like uh, it's like you always got to think about it it's one liturgy but everyone walks out differently anyway getting sidetracked so that's the beginning okay And then in the second stage, you pray, and you're like, I don't feel it anymore. Has anyone ever had that? I just don't, I can't feel it. I'm not getting fuzzy anymore. The liturgy is nice, but it's not the same. Um, The Bible, and the worst one that kills me the most is, Good Friday is not the same like before. That, for me, that that hurt, which is like, why isn't this Good Friday like last Good Friday? Like, Good Friday is Good Friday. Has anyone ever had that before? Okay. Um... And then we wonder what's happening here. Okay, let's do a parallel example, and maybe the married people in the room could give us a hand. When um, two, ma- two married people they look back when they first met each other. That's that first meeting each other was. Oof, even <laughs> see every, all the married people are smiling. You could see that the faces are smiling. Okay, it's a <laughs> okay. She's this, he's that, amazing, okay? They say that phase lasts for about six to 18 months, okay? Stage two is, okay, I've now realized, the goggles are off, I now realize (laughs) that I'm actually in front of a, a human being, okay? And maybe that fireworks, buzzing, butterfly feeling is not necessarily there, and as they go along, the test of is this a mature relationship or not is how they react to the absence of that buzzing feeling. Would any, all the married people agree with that in the room or disagree? We've got a few nods around. A mature person will say, well, my love to this person has nothing to do with the butterflies or the buzzing feeling. That, that's, they're independent. My love to the person is independent of that. And you see, if the couple is in the right direction, they get older and older and older, and they might, one of them might get really sick, there's no buzzing feeling when someone's like got dementia or Alzheimer's or something like that. But you see the love and the dedication that they give to each other. That's a mature way of life. Now, what keeps them going? They go, Oh, do you remember? Like when they sit and reminisce, what do they do? They go, Ah, do you remember back then? Okay, so is that analogy making sense so far? Let's step it back into the other analogy. So in my life with Christ, this period at the beginning and then in the middle, I feel like okay. What's happening there? According to this author, uh, I personally I, I really like this opinion. According to this author, he's saying that at the beginning God gives you a certain grace to help you along the way. So you pray, yeah, oh, that felt good. I'm going to keep praying. You read the Bible, I got a message. I'm going to keep going. You attended the liturgy, you felt it. I'm going to keep coming to the liturgy. But if God kept giving you those aids, then I'm not becoming the person that He wants me to become. Who does He want me to become? He wants me to pray out of pure love, not to receive anything. He wants me to read the Bible out of pure love, not to receive. Again, it's like that second stage of that married couple relationship. The husband is, or the wife is going beyond themselves, not to get anything in return, but out of love. That's what God wants to do to us. He wants to get us to the point where we're praying. Why? Out of love and out of faith. So you don't feel it, but you're still praying. You're doing exactly what you did before. You're still praying. You're still in God's presence. You're st- God is still bestowing his grace upon you. You're still experiencing that love of God. And along the way, God visits you with visitations, together just to push you forward. Okay? What keeps you going? And this uh, priest chose a verse from the book of Revelations to be the motto that keeps you going in the book of Revelation in the seven churches to one of the churches he says uh, one thing I have against you that you have forgotten your first love so what he says to us in stage two is remember your first love remember what life was like then and that will keep you going and then comes stage three what's stage three? you had what you had at the beginning but it never goes away okay and I think that's what he's talking about here when he says we discover a joy that cannot be compared to any other joy Sometime, anyone here a Sunday school teacher? A few here? Okay. Sometimes you're trying to tell your kids something and just don't, they don't get it. Like you're trying to say, like when you have a life with God, it's full of joy and the kids are like, what? Like, you know, you have to really push yourself in your Christian life. Like, what are you talking about? It's very hard to relay that message unless the person in front of you has tasted it, right? You know the verse to, um, in the Psalms? Taste and see that the Lord is good. This is what the Orthodox Church Or how the Orthodox Church understands our learning experience. Taste, and then let's talk about it. Experience the Church, and then let's talk about it. Taste and see. It's like if you've never had honey before, but you've had lollies. Okay, So say John hasn't had honey, but we've all had honey. And he's had every lolly under the sun, but no honey. And you're trying to explain to him what honey is. There's no way in the world you're going to explain to him what honey is. But once he tastes honey, he's going to be like, I get it. This is what that is. Unless I discover that joy... All this that we're talking about, about d- disciplined detachment, we're going to be like, what are you talking about? Okay? It's like when you um, when you see a, a, a new parent, someone who's just had a kid, and they talk about how, uh, I knew it was going to be good, but I didn't know it was going to be this good. You, you, you never know until you're in it. Okay? Some of the dads are smiling, which must mean it's true. Okay? Not a dad yet, so... Okay, so I think the first thing is, let's keep things real. Let's do things that the church gives it to us in a real way not in a routine way if we're fasting let's not just diet if we're praying let's not just say words if we're coming to the liturgy let's not treat it like what time is the gospel or what time is the liturgy starting 9 gospel will be 9.30 I'll come at 9.35 let's do things real the liturgy starting at 9 what time do I come? 855. 8.55 exactly okay things like that that's the first part second one live the life of the church this is, um, I personally think this is really important. Being present in the church, in the church life, is really, really valuable to our Christian life. And it's, it's an essential part. And we spoke about that a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about the church. What do I mean by the life of the church? The life of the church in the book of Acts is summarized by five things. The first one is liturgy, separate so together, taking of the Eucharist. The second one is a fellowship or canonia. The third one is teaching, so learning together. The fourth one is service. And the fifth one is proclamation or witnessing to, to God. In our daily lives, in the act of going out and by how we live our lives, we're witnessing to God. That's what we mean by the life of the church. And the church to, helps us, to help us gives us some tools in Lent give us a bit of a push. For example, we have more liturgies. So we said Lent is a time to really focus. So what does the church do? Okay, If you want to really focus, let's add a liturgy. So some churches have liturgies every day. Some have more liturgies. And let's make them a little bit late. So for example, here on Thursdays, we have a five to seven liturgy. Why is that? Because part of fasting is to spend part of the day without any food. So usually they do that until three or six o'clock. But because people work till five, they say, okay, finish work fast if you can. If you can't, have a chat to your Confession Father if you need energy during the day, depending on what you're doing for work and how your body works. And then come after church and pray the liturgy. Also in the hymns that we have during the Great Lent. But we'll talk about those in a second. Okay, let's read a little bit. To take Lent seriously means then that we all we will consider it first of all on the deepest possible level as a spiritual challenge which requires a response a decision a plan a continuous effort and the best and easiest way here is to follow the church's guidance I think it's a pretty wise thing to use the 2000 year experience of the church in the Christian life there's no need to reinvent the wheel this has been working for 2000 years it's been tested proved tried All we have to do is access it. But our challenge is that we need to access it in a real way. That's what's our hindrance to us. So for example, fasting, it's a great tool. If we access fasting in a real way, we'll bear its fruits. But if we access it in a dietary way, we probably won't. Okay? And he gives here an example. Be it only by meditating on the gospel themes offered. And John touched on how a lot of these gospel themes have a repentful focus. These gospel lessons are not merely to be listened to in church. The whole point is that they are to be taken home and meditated upon in terms of my life, my family situation, my professional obligations, my concern for material things, my relation to the concrete human beings with whom I love. On a bit of a side note, um, St. John Chrysostom has a book on marriage and family life and there's a very, very nice section. Okay? And this section is instructions to the husband and wife. He says, Husbands do this, wives do this. And then at the end, he says, Go to church always. On the way home, talk about the gospel reading. Okay? And then the golden sentence does anyone know it? If you do this, your life will be holier than monks. If you do this, your life will be holier than monks. Sometimes we put monks and lay people up here. Okay? It's not really that at all. Um, a monk actually once said, God doesn't want a black galabeya. He wants... When we go to heaven, he's not... it's going to just see what's, what's, what's happening in here. Which this just reminded me of it. Okay? But let's talk about the Gospels. So do you remember what Sunday's Gospel was? What was it about? The treasures. Okay? Christ says, Do not lay, your, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. heaven. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then he says, don't worry about what you will eat, what you will drink. Okay? And he goes, he finishes by saying, seek you first, the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. Very good. Do you know what next week is, this Sunday? Temptation on the Sunday after? Prodigal son. Let's look at these three weeks as, so if we're talking about living the life of the church interacting with the readings everyone here i think has coptic reader so you could read the readings the night before or the week before and really you know continue with it there's also a pdf that was put online i don't know if we put it on the on the group page but it's a lenten guide as well we could put that up if we look at these three weeks we could say that a theme is detachment so letting go the first one says let go of what you're worried about and christ says where your treasure is There your heart will be also. Because if you want to know where your heart is, later on he says, do not worry about ABC. Just ask yourself, what do you spend your time worrying about? Whatever you spend your time worrying about, that's where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. And then temptation Sunday, we could say detaching from some of the passions and sins that we have, the prodigal son, detachment from some of the things that we, or ways of living that we have, and going back to God. Today, something really awesome happened. Okay? There's um actually a monk from Egypt who's visiting Melbourne, but he's i don't know where he was, but he was I think he was maybe at the monastery. he's actually a hermit in one of the monasteries, and at Donval, um, I was just walking past, and he was in someone else's office, and he's very nice. we sat and we were, uh, we were all sitting and talking, and I was just sitting in the background, listening to what they were saying. It was really, really nice, and he said a couple of things which. So as he was talking, I just got the laptop out and typed out these things, <laughs> okay. and thought that some of these things actually relate to what we're saying today. He's a hermit. He lives in one of the monasteries. Three k's up and down the mountain till you get to where he lives. Okay. He's a lovely man, and of course, full of joy, full of peace, all those beautiful things. He said something um, which related to this detachment. He said the two problems of our time are the intellect. And the ego, we all think we're smart enough, and we're not willing to let go of our own ego, because that's the, they're the two things that are killing us. Okay, and so what the devil does is he looks for something that you like, so something in the world that you're really attached to, and he makes a problem with it, and plays with you with that. So if I really, really focused on money, he'll. Make me dizzy around money. If I'm really focused on how I look like in front of people, my social image or my image in front of my colleagues, or um, like everyone just needs to know how smart I am, how accomplished I am, or how good I am at ABC, then he's going to really make me dizzy around that. And he said something nice. He said, "If you don't like anything, he you're actually going to make life very hard for him." And that's what detachment is. Okay, when we're detached, we're not detaching from things because they're bad we're detaching from things so that we could be free for example money in itself isn't bad to drive a nice car to live in a nice house to wear nice clothes to do nice things none of that is inherently bad but each to their own it's really important when we have these things that we think about these things in our own life not about the person at work you know sometimes there's this funny thing about um, when you read a bible verse and you're like oh I wish someone else was here to hear that So let's not think like that, okay? So if I'm... the Money in itself, for example, is not bad, but attachment to money is bad. You could have someone who's really poor who's attached to money. And someone who's really rich who's not attached to money at all. Or you could have the opposite. Attachment's the issue because what attachment does is is it keeps my eyes on something else apart from God. You know when God said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Purity of heart is what we call single-mindedness, to have my mind on one thing and one thing alone, and that's God. Okay? Being double-minded is where when God said you cannot serve both God and Mammon. So detachment decreases my focus on these things, increases my focus on God. And these three, I think these first three gospel passages encourage us in the first three weeks of Lent to think about what am I attached to and how am I going to let go of it? Okay? And when we let go of these things, we have to remember we're not letting go because these things are bad. Most of the time, these things aren't good or bad because God doesn't create bad things. Everything God created, He said, actually was good. But we're detaching from it so that we could be free. But the biggest thing that we got to detach from and what our whole life project is to detach from is the Ego. Me, 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 me. Okay? And that's the hardest one to detach from. The ego. All problems come from ego. Think about it. Adam and Eve. God said, don't eat of this tree. Eve says, I know better than God. I'll eat. Adam says, I'll follow suit. Every problem throughout the Bible is, I think I know better. Let me do this. Any problem that we have with other people usually involves an ego. And the cross is all about anti-ego. So God showed us the ultimate act by dying for us, which is the, like the most selfless act in the world, and that's detaching from the ego. So the first three weeks focus on that. So after the prodigal son, we get to the next Sunday. Do you know what that is? Samaritan woman, then? Hmm? Paralyzed man, and then? Man blind. What's common in these three? There's something that's different in these three than the other three. Yeah, there's an encounter. It's Christ and someone. And it's how many people? One person. So with the Samaritan woman, it's the Lord and the Samaritan woman. With the paralyzed man, it's the Lord and the paralyzed man. With the blind man, the Lord and the blind man. So what this shows us is after I detach... I'm ready for this one-to-one encounter with God. And you realize with all these three people, this encounter led to a change. The Samaritan woman became an evangelist. She went out and said to everyone, hey, come and see. Paralyzed man, blind man. They all changed. Okay? A true personal encounter results in change. And I think this personal encounter is something that we all have to think about during Lent. When... um, when we say God loves us do I believe that God loves me or that God loves us when I say that God died for us do I I believe that God died for me like can I taste this personally when I make my faith my own when it's personal when I have the encounter then I get a lasting change a couple of things that Abuna said today which was really nice he says if my heart is filled with God's love then everything else is small if my heart is filled with God's love Everything else is small. So for example, I go to work, I have a horrible day. If my heart is filled with God's love, I'll be okay. It's not the end of the world for me. I have a financial difficulty. If my heart is filled with God's love, it's okay. I've got God. It's like, you know, when you're a little kid and something bad happens and you go, look, and you go home and you hug your parents, you're like, I've got my parents. Everything will be okay. I failed the test. I lost them at Target. I lost my parents at Target when I was a little kid. It's a very scary 30 seconds. Okay? At the end of the day, if you're filled with God's love, everything else is small. He, Abuna was saying this. When he was talking about this, one of the people in the room asked him, he said, Abuna, so how do we do this? And what do you do? He says, All I do is I pray and say, God, I want to love you. That's all he says. God, I want to love you. And our response, and this is what we need to do, he was saying, to stay focused on God during everyday life. Because we we're asking, okay, you live in the desert, everyday life for us, what do we do? He says, all you do is in every part of your life, you say, God, I want to love you. And he says, or he was really emphasizing this concept of simplicity. And it's very interesting, the more you speak to people, for example, who live in the desert, the more they say that all this is based on simplicity. What did he say about simplicity? He said that our big problem today, one of our big problems is trusting God. He says, we all have to ask ourselves, do we actually trust in God or do we say, yeah, we just trust in God? And the example that we could use is that of a child. You know how Christ said, unless you become converted like little children? Remember that verse? If, um, if there's a four-year-old and you go up to that four-year-old and you say, the earth is flat. If his dad says, son, the earth is flat, what's the kid say? The earth is flat. If he says, cross the road and you'll be okay, what does he say? I'll be alright. Drink this and you'll get better? Sure. That's the trust that we're talking about. He's saying that when I'm filled with God's love, when my heart is filled with God's love, then we have that trust, which is like a child. And his, his final thing he said, be simple, love everybody, have, your, have God your aim. And then he said, your aim only, only and only. I said it three times. I read it three times with with all those things. Okay? So I thought we'll share those. So with the life of the church, with the weeks. The first half is about detachment. The, the second half is about the encounter. Okay? We're running low on time, so let's turn the page. So two things that we said. Let's keep things real. Let's live the life of the church. If you can, attend an extra liturgy a week. If you can. Okay. So most churches have started their liturgies. I think most churches, next to everyone who lives in, this, in the church now, most churches next to you do have a late liturgy. So if you get a chance to go to a late liturgy, it's, it's really nice. To go to a liturgy, because you know when you wake up for the normal liturgy, you're hungry, but you're not starving. But to go, go to a liturgy when you're starving, and you really feel that hungry is a bit different. Okay, the next one, number three. We've spoken about this before, but we'll touch on it again quickly. Live one life live one life he said attending liturgical services fasting even praying at regular intervals do not exhaust the Lenten effort or rather in order to be effective and meaningful they need the support of our whole life they need in other terms a style of life which would not be in contradiction with them would not lead to a split experience we are not living in an orthodox society so we live in a secular society if we live in an orthodox society or an orthodox village then there will be Lent everywhere you'll feel the Lent okay? but we don't do, have that anymore we're not living in an orthodox society with no Lenten climate and no Lenten climate can therefore be created on the social level Lent or no Lent the world around us and of which we are an integral part doesn't change consequently this requires from us a new effort of rethinking the necessary religious relationship between what's happening outside the external and the internal The spiritual tragedy of secularism is that it forces us into a religious schizophrenia, dividing our life into two parts, the religious and the secular, which are less and less independent. What he's trying to say is what we've been saying a bit for the last few weeks. I have my church life and I have my non-church life. So when I'm praying or when I'm at church or when I'm with certain friends, I'm in the spiritual section. And then I'm going to step out of the spiritual section. I'm going to go home to the family section. There might be a bit of a jumping in and jumping out of the spiritual section there. And then I'm going to go to work. So I'm in the work section. And then we're going to go hang out after work. So I'm in the hanging out after work section. Okay? And then I'm hanging out with my uni friends that I used to go to uni with. So if it's a different crowd, different set of things. So I'm Michael of the uni friends section. He's trying to say this is like schizophrenia. Like it's, it's all over the shop. Okay? How many lives should we have? One life. So what do we call that life? A life in Christ. So everything I do is a life in Christ. So I asked, when we were in Egypt again, I asked one of the ones there, so what do you mean by a life in Christ? Can you explain this concept? Because it's part of me struggling to get it. He said a life in Christ is like a fish in water or like wind for a bird. That's what we mean by a life in Christ. Which means that there's no such thing as I'm now in spiritual section or work section. If we do that, watch everything in your life change. So how do I know if I'm living two lives? Ask yourself. If you ever have to watch your language in front of a certain person, then I'm living two lives. Because I have this person language and that person language. Okay? If I ever have to watch what I talk about in front of a certain person, then I'm living two separate lives. If the music that I listen to changes depending on who's in the car, then I'm living two different lives. If what I watch on TV changes depending on who's around, I'm living two different lives okay what's living one life life in Christ everything morphs into one is that easy like to understand not, for, easy, not, not easy to do of course but okay does that make sense okay personally I think it's a really important thing in Lent so we said oh, and all the time but in Lent we focus on these things of course the overarching theme is repentance but we said three things so far do things in a real way live the life of the church Which we spoke about when we did the Eucharist topic, and try to live one life. And this brings us to the last one, which is a time lent is a good time to just be still. Okay? Now this is a big quote. But you probably realize by now I have a really I'm really bad at paraphrasing. So we're gonna read bits and pieces and we'll see how we go. Okay. These media of mass communication. He's writing in the 70s, by the way, or 60s. Permeate today our whole life. One does not have to go out in order to be out. The whole world is permanently here within my reach. And little by little, the elementary experience of living within an inner world of the beauty of that interiority simply disappears from our modern culture. If it's not television, it's music. Music has ceased to be something one listens to it is fast becoming a kind of background sound for conversation reading writing etc anyone ever falling into that trap Has anyone found themselves on spotify saying essay writing soundtrack anyone done that before anyone seriously anyone done that before yeah there's actually a soundtrack for everything yeah there's study music there's driving music there's different types of driving music there's sleep music okay try it next time you get in the car just try and not put on anything to, not, not, not tazbahha, no sermons, no radio, no news. Just, just see how you go with just nothing. Pretty tough, isn't it? Okay. In fact, this need for permanent music reveals the incapacity of modern man or woman to enjoy silence, to understand it not as something negative, as a mere absence, but precisely as a presence and the condition for all real presence. Very quickly. Silence in the Bible. Very quickly. When God created the world, what was the world? silent and then he said let there be so he created the world he broke the silence and then he created Elijah running away from Jezebel goes into the wilderness and wants to die says God take my life so the angel comes and gives him food and he survives in that food and drink for 40 days and then Elijah goes up on the mountain and then there was an earthquake but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake then there was another two things do you remember wind But the Lord wasn't in the wind Then I don't know if I got the right order Fire And the Lord wasn't in the fire Then there was a Three words Still Small Voice So when did God speak Still Small voice So what's God's language Silence Silence is really important Stillness and silence is very important And again our 2,000 year spiritual heritage has emphasized that. It would be pretty unwise to ignore 2,000 years of the church's spiritual experience. If Christians of the past lived in great measure in the silent world, giving him ample opportunity for concentration and inner life, today's Christian has to make a special effort to recover that essential dimension of silence which alone can put us in contact with higher realities silence is a big topic we could go and maybe we could do that later but really important to emphasize the need of silence in our Christian life thus the problem of radio and TV during Lent is not a marginal one but in many ways a matter of spiritual life or death now one way is to read this and say oh man there the church goes again telling us that everything is wrong no the TV is not wrong radio is not wrong we're not there anymore that's a very as, as we're kids we're talking right and wrongs. what we're saying is something wrong with watching a nice show or listening to something nice but could we go without it just see what happens could we just see the silence and see how that treats us so the silence is not only here but it's here has anyone after has anyone does anyone here turn off their phone or put it on silent or flight mode during the liturgy anyone does anyone as soon as the liturgy finishes turn it off and check their notifications yeah see that's what we mean by silence anyone look at their phone before they sleep in bed like that? <laughs> when they wake up? I'm guilty too. Don't worry. We're all in it together. Alright? That's part of the absence of silence. We live in a very noisy place. A friend of mine was in Jordan once. And she said that... She, they went to Petra. You might have heard Petra. And they camped in the desert for a night. And she said it was the f- most silent place I have ever been in my life and she said something very, very interesting that I didn't expect. She goes, for some reason, the first thing I felt I had to do was pray. Which I'm like, wow, that's deep. It's very nice. So she goes, I was in silence, and then she goes, the first thing that came to mind is, I'm gonna pray. So Lent is a nice time. It's not practical to go without TV or radio for our whole lives. So Lent's a nice time to give it a bit of training, and maybe some of that fruit will carry in bits and pieces let's finish reading this if we can can we or yeah we can we started a bit late it's okay one must realize that it is impossible simply to split our life between the bright sadness of lent and the late show those two experiences are incompatible and one eventually kills the other it is very likely however that unless special effort is made the late show has a greater chance against the bright sadness than vice versa A first custom to be suggested, therefore, is that the use of TV and radio be drastically reduced during Lent. We do not dare to hope here for a total fast, but only for an ascetical one, which, as we know, means first of all a change of diet and its reduction. There is nothing wrong, for example, with continuing to watch the news or selecting serious, interesting and intellectually or spiritually enriching programs. What must be stopped during Lent is the addiction to today, the transformation of man into a vegetable in an armchair, glued to the screen and passively accepting anything coming from it. Let's give that a shot. Let's just see what happens there. Try introduce some silence in your life and see what happens. Go for a walk without your earphones in. Go for a drive down the coast without your radio on. Okay, no alhan, no tazbah, no sermons, nothing. Just silence. Try sit in your room a little bit In a state of... Silence. See what happens. Okay. Ah, one more story about silence that I forgot. Does anyone ever go to a restaurant and find old people sitting next to them? An old couple? They're pretty noisy, aren't they? No. What are they usually doing? Sitting in... Absolute silence. I actually remember... I think Pauline and I went to a Thai restaurant in Yarraville once. when we were engaged. And I remember... We were sitting there I, I can remember exactly what I was like We were sitting this way I was here Pauline was there And then obviously But I mean I was facing <laughs> the d- In my image The, the door was there So the, the door was there And next to us Were this couple And they were old And I promise you They did not Exchange One word For the hour That we were there And I remember saying In Arabic of course Pauline <laughs> Okay Not in English Why aren't they talking To each other But and then they were sitting there, but they were just looking at each other. At times, they'll put their hands on each other, sit there, eat, and they dressed up you know, to go to this Thai restaurant. Right? And Father Alexander Shmeman's wife, her name is Juliana Shmeman, she passed away last year. She wrote a book called My Memories with Father Alexander Shmeman. And she said that the more and more we got closer, the less and less words were necessary. She goes, In heaven, only one thing breaks the silence, which is, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The hymn of heaven. And I think that analogy could be used in our spiritual life. Sorry, in our life with Christ. I have to get out of the spiritual life as well. well. Life with Christ, which is, the more and more we walk with God, the more and more we're comfortable with silence with God. Some people, for example, you just catch them, like when the church is open, they just like to sit down and sit. And do nothing. Just sit in God's presence. Settle into that presence. Let that presence really change something in us. Let's finish. Last two paragraphs and we'll wrap it up. When I was a child, this is Father Alexander talking. This was pre TV. My mother used to lock the piano during the first, fourth, and seven weeks of Lent. I remember this more vividly than the long Lenten services. And even today, a radio playing during Lent shocks me as almost a blasphemy. This personal recollection is only an illustration. Of the impact some very external decisions can have on a child's soul. And what is involved here is not a mere isolated custom or rule, but the experience of Lent as a special time, as something which is constantly present and must not be lost, mutilated, or destroyed. So, another way to saying, what Lenten traditions are you going to observe in your life? What are you going to do differently during Lent? Uh, The vegan fast is like to get us onto the playing field. That's like to get us on the oval. And we all fast vegan together because the church does things together. So we all do vegan unless we've got special circumstances that are negotiated with our Confession Father. And then we all add. We add layers. Based on where we are with our walk with God under the guidance of our spiritual Father. Okay. Last paragraph. The silence created by the absence of the world's noises made available by the media of mass communication is to be filled with positive content. If prayer feeds our soul, our intellect also needs its food. For it is precisely the intellect of man which is being destroyed today by the ceaseless hammering of TV, radio, newspapers, picture magazines, etc. In other words, our brains are constantly being bombarded with a bit of rubbish. What we suggest then, in addition to the purely spiritual effort, is an intellectual one. How many masterpieces, how many wonderful fruits of human thought, imagination and creativity we neglect in our life simply because it is so much easier returning home from work in a state of physical and mental fatigue to push a TV button or to plunge into the perfect vacuum of an illustrated magazine or for us, our phones. But suppose we plan our Lent. Suppose we actually sit down tonight and say, I'm actually going to write down a plan for the next six weeks of Lent. Week 1, I'll do this. Week 2, I'll do this. Week 3, I'll do that. Suppose we make in advance a reasonable list of books to be read during Lent. This is a great book to read during Lent. There's only five copies, so if you, if you want to read it, you could actually Google The Life of Anthony and find it on PDF as well. But this is a nice translation. not all of them must necessarily be religious books not all people are called to be theologians yet there is so much implicit theology in certain literary masterpieces and everything which enriches our intellect every fruit of true human creativity is blessed by the church and properly used acquires a spiritual value so these four things again in Lent if we want to do Lent the Lenten way keep things real live the life of the church use the tools the church has given you live one life try enter into some stillness, into some silence. And the beautiful thing about all of this is, do you remember that K word that we used a few weeks ago? Canonia, K- K- yeah, yeah, that word? We, haven't, we don't use that word much, do we? <laughs> okay? When you do things in groups, it's a bit easier, isn't it? You know? So for example, if, if you say, okay, um, I want to live the life of the church, so I want to add a liturgy. But I get slack, so what I'm going to do call four people, message four people on a thread. Hey guys, liturgy on Thursday or liturgy on Saturday morning. Go together. If, for example, I haven't been into the habit of reading my Bible and I really want to get into the habit of reading my Bible, it could be as simple as, hey guys, I want to read the Bible. I don't want a Bible study. I just want to read the Bible. So do you mind if we just come together and just read the Bible and once we finish reading, we'll just close it? We don't have to do a Bible study? Like, what what are we doing? We're just together supporting each other to do things. One last thing about doing things in groups. You know how I said keeping things real, living one life. Do you ever find it really interesting that, for example, if we have youth meaning or liturgy, that the conversation that we might be having outside of the wall, just right here, if someone was to eavesdrop, if the FBI was eavesdropping on us, okay, or the NSA, I don't know what the Aussie equivalent is, ASIO maybe? A0 if ASIO was eavesdropping, would they be able to tell that we were Christian? Do you ever ask yourself that? Do you ever ask ourselves, so we talk about, like we could be in Sunday school, youth meeting, one of these, Bible, prayer, life with Christ, but once we leave, once we get out of that wall, and when, say we catch up as a bunch of mates from church on on Thursday night, and we go to, we go have a, a feed, does our conversation give any suggestion or any hint at all that we're part of of that. I think that's something we just got to ask ourselves and see. Part of keeping it real is for that to permeate. For example if someone's a basketball fanatic let's get rid of basketball. People these days are are focused on two things I realise. Gym and ketosis. Okay? (laughs) Those two things. Gym and ketosis. When you meet anyone who's on ketosis how do you know they're on ketosis? They're going to tell you in the next 30 seconds. That we met, I met a guy a few weeks ago and then he asked me, like, I don't know, like we exchanged pleasantries and everything. After a while, he's like, so what are you doing to keep healthy? And the conversation for the next two seconds was about a diet. He, he's on a special diet and he's really obsessed with that. Diet. So you can actually really tell what someone's into when you first meet them. I think let's just keep that as a parting thought. If we're keeping things real, if we're living the life of the church, when we at least get together as Orthodox Christians... What's our gatherings like? Are they any different to any other gathering? If, then, if they're not, maybe we've got to ask ourselves, how do we keep things real? How do we support each other? We're under time, actually, because we started a bit late. So we're okay. So just the, those four things. Um, well, I wanted to do this today, but there's no time. If you get a chance, grab a liturgy book. Go to the end where it says the Great Fast, Standard and Seasonal Hymns. Have a read of the hymns that we say. But read them, don't sing them. Just read them, because when you read things, sometimes it makes sense. So, for example, a gospel response of the weekdays, we sing it like the peace of God which surpasses. you sing it, but if you read it, look what it says: the peace of God which surpasses all understandings will guard will guard your hearts in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's nice, but this says to be on a bumper sticker. The next: <laughs> I have sinned, I have sinned, O my Lord Jesus, forgive me, for there is no slave without sin, nor master without forgiveness. The peace of God will guard your heart. I have sinned. So yeah, I'm repenting but God's peace is going to guide me and I'm not going to fall into sorrow which leads me to death. A sorrow that says I'm so bad, I'm so bad, I'm so bad, I'm so bad, I'm so bad. Okay. So try have a read of these. You could actually get it on Coptic Reader. Go on Coptic Reader. Set your day to a Lenten day and then swipe and you'll find it there. I always ask this but let's see how we go. Any additions? Anyone want to add anything? So I've got five books here, Um, we're starting a borrowing